Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 7 of Banter with Bells. Last week, I was given the opportunity to interview the one and only Coach Tim McDermott. Coach McDermott is originally from Cortland, New York, where his love for lacrosse first started. His college lacrosse career began at SUNY Geneseo and ended at Loyola, Maryland. Over the years, Coach McDermott has coached at several colleges, including Virginia, Loyola, and Cortland State. Currently, Coach McDermott is an assistant coach at the University of Utah. On today's episode, Coach McDermott and I were able to discuss leadership, energy, positivity, and all things that are controllables in your life that can improve the well-being of your life. My goal is to have Coach on the podcast again to discuss his book that he is working on that further discusses some of the topics talked about today. I hope you all can sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation. Just to start it off, obviously, this is my third year knowing you. Yeah. Um, I know a lot about, like, we built a relationship, but just for those who don't know you, let's start, um, like, where you're from, um, talk about your family, um, your, like, upbringing, how you got into lacrosse and other sports. So just first, uh, you're from upstate New York, correct? Absolutely, yeah, from uh, Homer, New York. So that's between Ithaca and Syracuse. Okay, and then you have two brothers, correct? Two brothers, yep. I'm down the middle. So What's the age gap? Uh, about a year and a half both. Okay. Younger brother played lacrosse. Older brother is more the academic. Um, probably the younger brother is more of an athlete. I was kind of in between a little bit. Okay, and then did your, both your brothers go to college as well? They did, yep. My older brother went to Notre Dame, uh, studied to be a doctor, and then the younger brother played lacrosse at the University of Virginia. Cool. And then with your l- lacrosse career, did you, when did you start playing lacrosse? I started playing, I believe my uncle put a stick in my hands, right around the age fifth grade or sixth grade. Uh, loved it right from the start. He was a coach in the Albany area. So whenever we went out there for holidays, we'd watch a game, we'd play in the backyard. So yeah, I started playing from a pretty young age. I know some of you guys might have started a little bit earlier. Did he? Did your uncle play college lacrosse as well? I don't believe so, no. Uh, he just was a fan of the game and uh, still rests to this day. Does a lot of uh, U Albany games. Nice, and then what about your dad? Was he an athlete? My dad was a football player at Cortland State, um, the town that I grew up in. Cool. And then before you really fully committed to lacrosse for college onward, did you play any other sports? I did, yeah. I tried to play every sport I could possibly play. You know, I just loved to compete. When I started playing sports, mostly in in high school, I settled in to playing soccer, playing basketball until I broke my hand. And then, uh, yeah, not not fun. Uh, Actually, it was a pretty bad, it wasn't my hand that broke, it was actually my elbow. And... uh, I was chasing a friend, and it was one of those plastic bag banana incidents. We're in the gym floor, and uh, he was just running away from me, and there was a plastic bag that I could easily avoid it, <laughs> but I did not. I put my foot square on it, scrolled down, fell on my elbow, and uh, that was the end of my basketball career, so just took that time to uh, ski and work out and get ready for lacrosse. So, and this was in gym class, you said? This was, no, the, the uh, Gym teacher would have been all over it, and of us horse playing, this was uh, after school, just kind of waiting for practice. Cool. So then, when did, so you said fifth grade, so in high school you were basketball, soccer, and lacrosse? I was, yep, until that incident. And then, what was the lacrosse recruiting like when you were in high school? Because summer teams weren't really a thing back then. No, not at all. Um, We just played with our high school team, so it was really cool what happened in the summers, and again, we would always just kind of free play, be out there with our buddies at the field every chance we'd get. But then we would play probably twice a week, and it would be our Homer high school team, and we'd play Skinny Atlas, we'd play Lafayette, we'd play West Jenny, and it would be all their alumni as well. Okay. So cool. it would be us in like seventh and eighth grade when I started, and then even our players that are playing at Syracuse and Virginia, all our players would play against those other teams. So. It was a really good opportunity to play with older kids. And a lot of times, you know, big moments were sitting on the sidelines watching, but uh, you pick up a lot and playing with good players is certainly an easy way to improve. And this was over the summer? These were summers, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And then were you always face off? I was. I I loved it. You know, I gravitated towards it. I always just loved getting that ground ball in the middle of the field. When I chose my college, I wanted to play offense and defense. And once they made me a face-off guy trying to keep me fresh, 
that's when I was kind of looking for uh, options to play at a different level because, you know, didn't want to be a face-off guy. I was a midfielder that could spark transition. That That's how I describe myself, Bells. Cool. And then what did your younger brother play at Virginia? My younger brother, he was a face-off guy as well. Uh, in high school, I mean, he led upstate New York in points scored. So, again, before just pure Fogos, you know, he played offense, defense as a player of the year in upstate. So went to Virginia, but he broke his back uh, first game of his senior year and uh, played through the season. Oh. But, uh, yeah, brutal, right? Yeah. Um, so just a vertebrae, but he played through it. Um, and ever since then, you know, he it would seize up on him. So he kind of fell into that face-off role and uh, relished it, got to win a national championship. So I think he was happy with his decision. Now, because you both played the same position were there battles at home like in the backyard practicing oh man yeah bells you have any siblings oh uh, yeah older 30 year old sister and 27 year old brother okay it's so a little bit older so yeah. you probably weren't in the backyard brawling with each other right no not not much just because there's such an age gap yeah um my brother would beat up on me like he would. if we yeah yeah <laughs> but and i wanted to yeah, i wanted to yeah. beat up on my little brother but uh he was extremely athletic mm-hmm. you know had a few years on him so i'd still take it to him i think i was always the better face-off man, but he was certainly the better lacrosse player. But a lot of times, you know, coming into dinner after training, I mean, it, it, it ends in like a fist fight mm-hmm. from times, which is good, because I think that's what you want in your face-off guy. You want a competitor, right? Right. So then going back to the recruiting process, these almost alumni games, would scouts go to them and watch these games, or would they go to high school regular season games? Yeah, it was mostly uh, high school regular games is where they would be at. There was these Empire State games in New York, which are pretty cool, kind of like the format they have now with, you know, a team from Washington, D.C. competing against a team from Ohio, right? So it's kind of like that, but it would be like upstate New York versus Long Island versus Rochester versus the Hudson Valley. Oh, cool. Which is cool. But, Bells, I didn't make that team. You Unfortunately, no, I ran into uh, Jeremy Thompson. I don't know if you remember that name, no. but uh, he's Lyle, you know, the best player yeah. in the world right now, his older brother, and uh, I think I was a better face-off athlete than him, but uh, at the time, Fogos weren't a thing, so they were just looking for midfielders, and uh, that kid could do it all. So Was he the sa- around the same age as you? No, he was three years younger, and he was already better than me, oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you for uh, yeah, asking all the hard-hitting questions. Yeah. So, so then... You went to two colleges, right, during your athletic career? I did, yeah. Talk about your first college. Yeah, so I went to uh, Geneseo State University in New York, um, SUNAC school, so loved that, having in-state tuition. Mm -hmm. uh, Gravitated towards that because, you know, my brother was at Notre Dame, and I was thinking my little brother was actually already committed to Virginia at that time because back then he committed as eighth graders. Right. Um, So, yeah, I wanted to save my parents a little bit of money, um, and I loved it because... There was like, you can play offense, you can play defense, you can do it all. And uh, yeah, great school. So I used lacrosse to get to the best academic school I could get into and uh, started out there and loved it. Um, competed for three years, had the time of my life. How far away from home was it? About an hour and a half. Okay. Yeah, so just far enough to be away from the parents, yeah. but you could get back as well. That's nice, yeah. So you weren't commuting, you were living on campus and stuff. I was living on yeah. campus, yeah. So then your fourth year, was it your senior year when you transferred to Loyola? Yeah, yeah so I just graduated early. Uh, mm-hmm. Good thing with uh, in-state school, all those high school honors credits transfer. So I had graduated and uh, going into my senior year, you know, I was still at Geneseo for the first, the fall semester to start. And uh, I had the option to take more classes. They didn't have a grad school to program, so I could take a class in uh, – dance or uh, something like that and or I get my MBA paid for so I uh, elect to go to Loyola University in Maryland. Cool and what did you get your undergrad in? Undergrad is business. Business and then was it master's you got at Loyola or just? Master's in business administration. Cool did you like that? You know looking back and this is something I talked to a lot of recruits about is uh, the business everything I learned in undergrad I feel like I just learned it again in graduate school with a little bit more focus on leadership. Gotcha. So if I were to do it again, you know, I would have had a minor, I would have something I'm really interested in undergrad. That's what I, and again, you can do it in business. Like if you really like marketing or you like accounting or finance, I'd say at least get a minor or specialize in some classes. So it's not so general when you go into the real world. Um, if you have something that you're studying or a passion, 
lot easier to get a job. Like if I did some right biology classes, it would have been easier for me to get a job doing uh, sales to doctors, right? If I was going to be a med sale, something right. like that. Yeah. Cool. So then you were only at Loyola for one semester. Used for uh, well, I had to finish school, so I was there for two years, but I only mm. played yeah for that one year. Gotcha. Were the guys pretty accepting? Pretty nice. Great guys. Yeah. Yeah, and that's so cool, right? And I mean, for you, like your Utah boys, right? Awesome. Great relationships. Have you visited any of your friends from other colleges playing lacrosse? No. You haven't. No. Yeah, I have not. Bells, I'm gonna encourage you to do so. Okay. Um, what's really cool about our sport is that. We're all very similar in a lot of ways, and if you have the same passion, it's kind of one big fraternity. And as you graduate, you're gonna have friends of friends who played at different programs, and you can just start a conversation, fit right in. Um, and that was what my experience at Loyola. These guys were fantastic, it was fun. We were able to have a retreat when I first got there, similar to what we do for our retreats. Mm-hmm. So I took you know every opportunity to uh, get out there and speak, and. Uh, try to get to know the guys the best I could early on. Now, have you stayed in contact with any of your previous teammates? I have, yeah. Actually, my two roommates at Loyola, one's uh, the coach at Richmond. Okay. And the other's the offensive coordinator now at Jacksonville. So Nice. Yeah, he's uh, going to be uh, an, an enemy, but more of a frenemy. So moving on to, coach- <laughs> moving on to coaching, uh, when did you make that decision, like, I want to pursue coaching for my career in life? When did that yeah, light good, bulb go Yeah, good question. Um, so after Loyola, right, I had that graduate degree, had some bills I had to pay back, so I was like, all right, let's get a job. Um, I went to work in Richmond, uh, got into the insurance industry, and just jumped on that because I'm like, oh, these guys seem to make a lot of money, a lot of cold calling. Um, and I was selling to big companies, right? So it was kind of a more of a complicated product that we were selling. And I'll be talking to these HR directors who are, you know, 50, 60 year olds, big corporations, and they'd be like, we love you as a sales guy, your product seems great, but we're not gonna make a decision for three years. And then when we do so, we're gonna call all your competitors and go through that RFP process. Oh geez, they told you that? Right, yeah, right I up. mean, and, and that's the way it is, right? Yeah. If you're selling to Ford or Apple or GM, Again, that's the problem. Even here at Utah, like if, if we have anything that we're selling that's over $5,000, it has to go to this RFP process. Yeah. So it's very standard. However, as a young guy trying to make some money and making most of their money off commissions, uh, it was just a long sales cycle. So throughout it all, I'd always kept my passion seating college coaching. I was actually, I coached at University of Richmond uh, before they went D1. So did you did you and your roommate go together like the your roommate who's the head coach of Richmond now has he been there for no a while? but he's the assistant the head oh. coach actually was my coach at Loyola oh. so Dan Shimani was the head coach cool. Paul Richards was actually my wingman on the faceoff wing there so yeah so how long did you do insurance for or it was insurance it, we were doing yeah was selling yeah. some insurance there yeah. bells and it was uh, probably three three years or so. Right out, of, right out of grad school, but still coaching on the side. And just, again, I was cooped up, making calls all day. Yeah, I wasn't with a bunch of my peers, right? Like, would be a better sales opportunity as more kind of isolated, you know, calling people I don't even see face-to-face half the time. And uh, loved coaching, and uh, my brother was over at Virginia. And uh, so I stayed close with him, and uh, Really made the decision, you know, uh, the spot opened up, they're looking for a face-off coach, and uh, I always had a great relationship with uh, Coach Starja over there and um, offered me the job, and I just really just couldn't turn it down. I mean, it's something that I always scratch, something I wanted to scratch, an itch I'd like to scratch, I believe is the correct way to say that. <laughs> um, but just being around good people all day. And that's something that, right, we experience now, and when you're going to look back, I think you're going to find these are some of the best years of your life. And we hear on the retreat all of us talking about how much this means for us. Because really, lacrosse, it's really just a season of life, right? We're going to go through ups and downs. Um, again, there's going to be conflict, right? We're going to have to resolve that conflict. And it's so fun because it's that short iteration where we get to see results. Yeah. Right, so it's really practice for life, and it's something you don't experience 
once you leave this environment. So to have the opportunity to be a part of that again, right? Be that coach that I didn't have at all times. He's like, man, I've, I've been through this. I can really help these guys. I know where they're at. Let's help them on the field and off the field. That really appealed to me. And then just being around some really, really great people. I was really excited for that. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And you said it to see results so fast. I mean, you see results in less than a year, right? I mean, fall ball to end of spring, um, late May, you can see how much work you put into a fall can pay off in the spring, which is pretty cool. Because some jobs you have to wait years to see the result. And I feel like in coaching, it's a quick turnaround, relatively speaking. Oh, it's awesome, right? And every year, it starts again, mm -hmm. right? So no team, as you've already experienced, right? Our your team your freshman year, I'm sure the dynamics are completely different than they are now, right? Right. And how fun is that? Figuring out the same problems. Okay, maybe we can do tweak a few things this year, do things a little bit different. And again, it, it is like life. Yeah. And at the end of it, man, you go through some really tough times, some really great times, but you always come out closer at the end of it. Right. Now is your brother, or, yeah, is your brother still coaching? He is not. Uh, we actually, we almost got, a, he, he played for the first time in 10 years. He uh, lives down in Charleston. So we have a friend in common, Joey Boylston. Yes. <laughs> so our friend Joey uh, got him on the team. Um, I believe our other friend, Justice, who's on the podcast, is playing that game that Brian played in. Um, and I think he took one face off, ran down, pulled his hamstring, uh -huh. and uh, that was that. So I'm not sure he was very impressed with, with his performance, but uh, I was proud of him to uh, get back on the field after uh, like 15 years of not playing and uh, see if he still had it. And uh, I think he found out the answer. Um, and that answer is before he just goes out, make sure, you know, hits the gym a little bit, gets back some playing shape. Yeah. Yeah, stretch those legs. Um, Got to stay after it. And I see you, right? You're always rolling out, putting the extra work in there, Bells. Oh, you have to. You have to. My brother, he joined a men's league this past summer, and uh, he was just backing up. Thought someone slashed him. He tore his Achilles. Oh, and, man. Yeah. So stretching's important. Yeah, it's important. I mean, yeah. ask Coach Doyle that question, yeah, right? exactly. Brutal, right? His first year out here, right? Um, first, his alumni game, snaps that thing. Comes Can't do retreat. any of these fun yeah. activities out here, yeah. And we got the retreat, and he's rolling on uh, that little scooter. Yeah. So how many years were you at Virginia coaching? I was at Virginia only for two years. Two years. And face-off coach, correct? Face-off coach, yep, just trying to be a sponge, learning everything I could from Coach Van Arsdale. Uh, a lot I did, you know, I was back. I mean, they had their offensive schemes pretty much set, but just watching him and uh, – Hopefully it's you guys are on the sidelines, right? Trying to predict what he's gonna say before he says it. And mm -hmm. uh, just learned a ton with him. Um, just incredible. Coach Starja was on the defensive side of the ball as well. And uh, just great guys to learn from. I mean, they are legends in the game. So it was just a phenomenal experience. That's great. And then I don't know too much about it. I've caught wind about it, but you made a DVD, right? At Virginia face-off DVD. Oh, I've heard about that. I've heard about it. I haven't seen it, but what it, what is it? Is it coaching <clears throat> techniques? You haven't seen it. I have not seen it yet. Well, so it's floating around the team. I believe <laughs> I uh, in our Secret Santa gift, it was gifted to your friend Broneal. Okay, so, so he's in possession of it. He is in possession. It's actually an autographed copy. Oh my god! Believe it or not, yeah. Hopefully, he doesn't put that on eBay. I think it's the only autographed copy. Oh. Well, I have a DVD player, so I might need to borrow that from Broneal. Yeah, I think as long as you have a DVD, they're not, there's not too many DVD players out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I'd get that, get a listen. It's uh, it was one of those days, you know, Coach Dar just comes over. He's, you know, hey, Tim, you want to you make a, a video? And I'm like, all right, bring it on. So I wasn't really prepared, mm -hmm. um, but we had some fun out there. I got my face off guys, taught some of my favorite drills, uh, like Hungry Hunger Fogos. I don't know. I believe that's a clip on YouTube you can look at. Okay. And I just would roll out a bunch of balls and uh, they'd get them and bring them back to like the hippos. Have you ever played the game Hungry Hunger Hippos? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So very similar to that. Um, so it's a fitting name and they'd get the balls and bring them back. And uh, yeah, I believe the DV was called aggressive face-offs. So was that the only drill showcased, or was it a bunch of drills? Plenty of drills. Yeah, plenty of technique, plenty of drills. Um, we would videotape some of our practices. 
It's a, have you seen any of the championship production videos? Mm-mm. No. So there's a lot out there. It was back in the day they would produce and, and reach out to college coaches uh, to pr- present these these videos. So there's a lot out there if you want some help on shooting. Uh, I'm sure Coach McMahon, I bet he has one out there as well. So they're floating around and uh, always a good watch to hone your skills. Nice. How, how did you do learn? Were you more uh, just out there practicing? Did you have a good mentor or were you watching videos? So just like growing up, practicing, learning my skills and everything? Yeah. Uh, so my dad, so I guess just my lacrosse career, my dad played Division three lacrosse at the College of Worcester in cool. uh, like Central Ohio. And then from that, um, at the time when my brother was growing up, uh, lacrosse wasn't that big in Ohio, so our city didn't have a program. So my dad and our neighbor created the Strongsville Lacrosse Organization. And... So that's kind of how I got introduced to the sport. Played just Strongsville lacrosse up until sixth grade, and then that's when I decided to play summer lacrosse. And we were the, called the Force Knights, and the founder's name was Mike Wurl. Okay. And he played for the England national team, and he was a defender. So he kind of, my dad kind of gave me the basics, and then Coach Mike kind of, gave me more built upon that foundation that my dad gave me. And then I would say when I really fully committed was in eighth grade when I tried out for Resolute, the state team for Ohio. And um, Matt Lee was my coach, but he was more offensive mindset. And we had a coach named Coach Otis my first year, who's in Upper Arlington, which Mm -hmm. is a suburb of Columbus. And he coached me. He really, he was very calm, collective, high energy guy. And he was a great coach, in my opinion, for defense. That's kind of, I think, where I took my game to the next level. And then we had a coach named Coach Triplett at St. Francis de Sales in Columbus. And he also built upon that. So I'd say definitely I'm more of a, I'm trying to think of the different types of learning. I wasn't a auditor, audit. Tory listener, like watching, I was more interactive. Gotcha. So I, I enjoyed going to practice more and learning firsthand and doing the drills. Yeah, seems so, like you still do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm definitely more, uh, don't know the word, just. I'd say bring in the juice. Yeah. I mean, the kind of learner you are, I think hands-on absolutely makes sense. But listeners here, I don't know if they've seen you at practice, if they're fans of number 30 out there, but uh just, you know, I'm going to toot your own horn right here is, I mean, wow, like the energy you bring, you make our team better. So is that something you picked up from this coach or in your resolute days? No, I mean, yeah, they were all pretty high energy guys. I would say my whole life, though, I've been pretty positive, pretty positive. Mm-hmm. Um, great childhood, like nothing to be negative about. Very grateful for everything in my life. And I would say coming here with your teaching, Coach McMinns, the whole coaching staff, you can choose like attitude and energy are free like right. they say nothing's free in life but i feel like your mindset your energy your attitude's always free and just going that you can choose how you want to approach each situation and especially taking a step back right when i wake up in the morning i sit in my bed for 30 minutes and i think like this is just going to be a good day just talking to myself having very positive mindset and um also telling myself, like, gratitude, too, plays a huge factor. Like, there's millions of people that are in worse situations than me. Like, I have no reason to have a negative mindset for the day. So I'd say stepping back definitely helps me. And then just being around people um, kind of fuels me to bring positive energy. Yeah. That makes sense. No doubt. No, and you're really hitting on all the pillars of our program. So we love that. And uh yeah, it seems like pe- people and just making other people happy really fires you up. Mm-hmm. And it's a domino effect, too. I feel like if someone's bringing energy, then I'm going to pick up on that. Then if I bring some energy, the person next to me is going to have a better practice, bring some energy. And it's just a domino effect. And on the flip side, too, negative energy does the same thing. I mean, it's going to have a domino f- effect. No question. I mean, it's definitely, right, that energy. It's it's almost like a hidden force in the world. Like, there's always negative energy. There's always positive energy, right? And they mix which energy wins. Mm-hmm. It's right. Making that choice, you say it's free. It is free, but it also takes a lot of work. It's an easy right. decision to make, but it's also an easy decision not to be grateful, not to bring the energy. 
So I love how you have that built into your process every morning, right? Reminding yourself, man, I'm grateful, right? I am lucky to be have this opportunity to do the things I do. And that's not easy, right? That's remind yourself it's so easy to take it for granted. So really cool that you have a system built in. And I just think that's so important. Even with lacrosse, like defense, right? I think defense, the schematics, would you say it's complex? The schematics of the game? Just defense in general. Yeah, do you think it's... I would say it's not too complicated. Yeah, no. I'd agree there. I don't think it's complicated at all, right? It's pretty easy, but it's also very hard in the fact that everything's trying to distract you, right? The weather, you might not have, call, have a call go your way. Your opponents, the offense, all they're trying to do is distract you of all their chicanery, right? Right. So being able to dial in and reset the way you're doing the morning, building those moments on the field, I think that's the most important thing really just to recommit to be your best self is gonna make you a great player. So you need a system, a cue to make yourself practice that. Otherwise, it's so easy just to get lost in thought and you're like, oh man, game's over. I wasn't my best self throughout the game. Right, and over the summer, I read The Energy Bus. And classic. one thing, I mean, yes, definitely a classic. Everyone should read that book. And one thing, I don't know why this stuck with me, and it kind of seems like a little hippie or whatever, but they were talking about just how when someone has, well, first they said you can feel someone's energy, mm -hmm. which like a positive energy, they say, I don't know if it's true, but studies have shown within 10 feet, you can feel. I can feel so, your energy yeah, right exactly. now, man. It's bouncing around this room like a beach ball at a Nickelback concert. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and uh, positive people attract people, negative people kind of deter people. And I feel like without even someone saying anything, you can feel like the type of energy they're giving off, whether it be body language or not even body language. But I found that that stuck with me uh, from that book. And I don't know why. And I, I just feel like throughout this semester, I've been seeing examples of positive people attracting people, negative people kind of deterring people. No question, man. And really like if you take that one lesson right and you apply it to your life and you are a great example of bringing that positive energy you can impact people's lives so dramatically mm -hmm. right take someone from having a bad day to a good day just like that right and it's all about right bringing the energy and then having the intention like this is what i want to do i can change this world one interaction at a time right and you do a phenomenal job at that one thing that i've been like practicing this semester too is just with having a positive mindset nothing can affect you like confrontations if you kind of just step back have a positive mindset an open mindset on understanding nothing really can affect you um whether it be a bad grade you're having a bad day there's always tomorrow there's always the next test you just have to look for the pot like we talked about today you just have to look for the positives and the good things in life and the bad things in life which I feel like this semester I've really been practicing those teachings. No doubt, and I think Coach McDean, McMahon does a great job right today talking about gratitude and bringing up all those points. And gratitude's cool because it's an emotion that you can practice, mm -hmm. right? You, you can practice it at, at all times, and there's a lot of different exercises to do. You mentioned right, negative visualization, right? That's a stoic principle. They're like, oh, look at all these bad things that haven't happened to me. Yeah. Right, and it's so easy, it's all relative. If you see that, oh great, my life's amazing. Yeah. And you see people who are extremely happy, if you go to even third world countries, they're happy, they don't know what they don't have. Yeah. But they have love of the people around them. They have food, right? They have shelter, and that's enough to put a smile on their face. Again, just being grateful, so really cool that you're practicing that yeah and just going off what you said about those third world countries that's one thing Don Mata was telling me about when he took his trip to um, Ecuador and how happy these people were they didn't have much but they were some of the happiest people he's ever met and uh, I was upset because I did the same uh, program that he did but this year we didn't have a service trip so I was a little upset that I didn't get to experience that firsthand but I'm sure there'll be more opportunities in the future.
But um, no question. And there's yeah. a lot of opportunities, right, to travel and help people. I mean, there's mission work, right, outside the Mormon Church. Like everyone has mission work where you can go, and anyone's going to want your energy to bring to those places because, as you said, that's what they need more than anything, right? You can help them dig a ditch, right? Help them put a new roof on their house. But it's bringing that energy and that happiness that, man, that just makes a difference in their lives as well. Right. I want to go back to your coaching career, um, especially like um, you've been with the Utah lacrosse program from the ground up, um, the transformation from club to D1. So what happened between UVA and then Utah? Were there other coaching gigs? Oh, yeah. Um, actually, after UVA, I left lacrosse. You did? Right. So I loved it, but I just had an idea um, to start a business. And again, having that business background, like that's something I've always been interested in. I thought it was a really good idea at the time. Proved not to be. Um, but what a great experience, you know, going around trying to build something from scratch yeah. and start a movement from a service that didn't exist. So that was kind of a lot of fun for me. Um, I can get into that if you want. Yeah, but, what uh, type of business? Yeah, so I was trying to create a metric system, um, and it was to compare different lacrosse players um, from different areas. So we would measure, I teamed up with this guy I met, and he did all the um, NFL timing systems, right? So those laser timers that we're using for our 40 times of practice, Right. he created those, and that's what we did for the NFL combine. I'm like, this is pretty cool. If I can get this and then have it with subjective, getting coaches to kind of rank kids one through five, just really simple analytics there. And then I found a mindset um, company called uh, the Trowine Athletic Profile. And that's what Belichick has been using with the Patriots for the last 20 years. And it's kind of like a athlete assessment, more of a mindset, really no right or wrong questions. It'll ask you questions like, would you rather be a firefighter or climb the Himalayas? Who would that be for you, actually? I'm just interested in you, what, what you'd say there. Say the question, so would I rather? Would you rather be a firefighter or climb the Himalayas? Mount Everest. Is, am I just climbing Mount Everest once or is that my career? I'm a professional climber. That's a great question, right? And then just the way you think about this, that's why you ask a question like that because it really dives into your personality because it's not a right or wrong answer. Right. But just to get an answer from you, just climb it once, just a milestone. I would say, I mean, it's tricky because one's a career and one is just one, one's a task. But I guess, um, I guess firefighter. And why is that? Firefighter, just because I feel like it would be similar to a sport in the sense that you're part of a team, you're part of a family. Um, and not to generalize, but I feel like statistically firefighters are mostly males. So in the firehouse, you kind of create a sense of brotherhood. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be pretty neat. And then if you're climbing Mount Everest, um, you can ask the question, am I doing it by yourself? Are you doing it maybe with a team as well? Right. But um, if it's one and done, then I'm probably doing the, Gotcha. Yeah. Right. So there's no right or wrong answer, right. and there's a lot of subtext around it. But when you put a lot of those questions together, it builds kind of a portfolio of, of what your interests are. And really, it just helps coaches and players put their best foot forward and interact with each other. So I thought it was really cool. But it also measured, and the Navy SEALs had used it to measure their grit, um, their competitive desire, and some different things that really, there's again, the scores aren't good or bad, but it leads to really good conversations. So when you're trying to assess people to be on your team, and then once they're on your team to help them be the best, it, it was an assessment to kind of measure that. So I wanted to put the physical, the mental, and then your athletic skill together so you can compare a kid from upstate New York, like myself, to a kid, kid like Cleveland, like you. So, thought it would be cool. Um, that is cool. Thank you. Yeah. I thought so, really. <laughs> the problem was, like, the kids who were right, really fast, they're like, yeah, I'd love to do the 40-yard dash right here. I can show off my talents. Right, the kids who aren't fast, like, I'm good. I don't want to sign up for this. So, it's kind of like the SATs when you had to do standardized test testing. Mm -hmm. It's a successful because everyone has to pay to take it, whereas this only the top 5% wanted to take it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, going back to that question, I'm interested, what would you choose, Himalayans or firefighter? And why? 
Yeah, so I gotta think about it. And again, I'm in my mind, there's a hundred questions just like you trying to, to figure it out. But end of the day, I would have said, uh, I wanna climb Mount Everest. You know, yeah. I just thought that would be cool. Test myself. Um, but yeah, I would certainly miss out on that team camaraderie. I'm lucky that I have a team yeah. to be around every day. So if I didn't have that, right, my uh, answer might be swayed. Cool. So then once you decided not to pursue that path, did you go back into coaching? Not originally. So I stayed with that mental assessment. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was really cool. And I kind of traveled around um, to different colleges and programs talking about it. Um, also, it's just had another job just to pay the bills, but I was still, hey, this thing could be really neat. There are some colleges using it, but not all of them. Um, so I was really excited about that. So kind of traveling around, living uh, around the country two weeks at a time, and uh, that's when I came to Utah. Cool, and did you, so obviously the first coach of Utah lacrosse was Brian Holman. His son, Marcus, was a coach as well. Did you know them prior to coming to Utah? So when I was at Virginia, I coached against Brian Holman, mm -hmm. um, and, and he was great. I worked some camps at Carolina, and he, I mean, he was always just charismatic and fun and just a ton of energy. And uh, yeah, so I, I knew him. I knew Marcus scored a lot of goals against us. Um, <laughs> so I knew him well. I knew Adam Gittleman very well because he played with my little brother at Virginia. So yeah, I was just here kind of two weeks at a time, and they were a club program. and. It was one day we were out skiing and they had to get, it was powder day, right? It just started falling down and uh, they had to leave early, right when the snow was coming. And uh, they're like, oh man, we're gonna, wish we could stay out with you. And I'm like, well, I kinda miss not coaching. And they're saying, well, come on, right? We're a club program. We can have as many coaches as we want. So I uh, went down to practice in the field house, a late night practice. And uh, yeah, I just kind of fell in love with it again. and. You know, love those guys' energy and what they were building here, and uh, it was fun, and was just very grateful for the opportunity. Now, were they coaching the club team two years before it went D1, or one year club, then it transitioned to D Division Gosh, One? Gosh, was it two? It might have been three. I think two. Two years before, 2016, I think we went 2019 D1, right? Maybe 20s. So three three years before I got here, I got here in twenty one. Okay. So twenty eighteen maybe. Okay. So then yeah, then like two years or so. Um, yeah. So it was fun. Just uh, something I've never experienced was the MCLA, um, but we had a blast playing uh, the Cal's, the Oregon's, the USC's. Went down to Texas for some trips and uh, fun. Yeah, it was fun. It was really cool to see and just the commitment of those. Uh, club guys early on it was amazing to see their passion um so what a what a great experience not even knowing if we'd ever go d1 and as building the program also building the community as well um was just really cool to see how hungry right utah was for lacrosse and how the community came together to make this thing happen yeah and biggest rival when it was club would you say byu was that the biggest game? I was certainly BYU, yeah. yes. Yeah. And you beat them, right? Well, the last year it was club? We beat them handedly, and then we lost uh, in the playoffs. Oh, no. Don't want to go too deep in that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was a lot of things just kind of, kind of, we kind of were caught in quicksand in that one, and things weren't going our way. But uh, handed to BYU, I mean, they had a lot of seniors. We were a lot of young kids there, and, uh, they came together and uh, they played great and kudos to them. Now, what about the transition process from MCLA to NCAA? Was that stressful? A lot of meetings involved? Um, kind of walk me through that process. Yeah, there was a lot of meetings. I mean, yeah. based, mostly, you know, fell on the shoulders of Coach Holman, um, who did a great job, you know, managing everything. Um, but yeah, a lot of meetings, right? There's a lot of things that go into it um, behind the scenes. Um, th that we had to address, uh, you know, didn't have a field when he came here for the first time, right? There was no locker room. Um, before, I mean, they had to find the coaches, yeah. right? The funding, right? Had to get all that in place. So there was a lot of things um, that needed to be done. And uh, that was really, you know, Coach Holman taking the bull by the horns and making that happen. Gotcha. 
And now uh, Coach Holman, PLL coach, correct? Yeah. Do you still keep in contact with him? Or? I do, yeah, yeah, every chance I can get. I mean, as you know, talking to him always fires you up. Um, just like you, he leaves you with a smile and just leaves you wanting to be the best you can possibly be. So, yeah, try to try to connect with him whenever I can. Awesome. And then you're coaching True as well. True. We got the 2030s now. Yeah, the little guys, little sixth graders. Oh, cool. How's that going? Uh, it's fantastic. It's fun, right? And you were coaching a little club as well, right? Yeah, my freshman year I helped out um, with Summit during the fall. Yeah, you sometime. did. Yeah. Fantastic job, if I remember. Yeah, it was good. I, I enjoy coaching. Um, I could see, I wouldn't, in the future, I think maybe at the high school level, I would enjoy coaching high schoolers. Um, I feel like sixth graders would be challenging at times. I think they all have their unique challenges, yeah. right? So why, why would you prefer high school kids? I feel like they have a larger attention span. I feel like that's such a unique time in someone's life. It's kind of that transition from yeah. not childhood, but becoming a teenager or a teen into an adult or like a young man, woman. Sure. Um, so I think that's pretty. And your influence on them can be so huge at that age too because yeah. they're almost entering like the real world because you still remember your high school coaches right right big impact on your life mm-hmm. so i think i think <coughs> high school okay um but here's where i'm gonna push back a little bit right so the little right. guys they are just so fired up to be playing lacrosse that's yeah that's true i mean they're enthusiastic or an attention span yeah you could catch them right maybe sword fighting their sticks <laughs> in the background but if you get them dialed in, right, and you give them a vision for what they could be, right, and you believe in them and encourage them, it is just so fun to see how quickly they improve. Whereas high school kids, yes, they continue to improve and it's fun. But at a certain age, I know, you know, when I got in ninth grade, I knew more than my parents. Did you, were you like that at all or? No. Good for you. No. Good for yeah. you. No, not, yeah. I don't think, no. Yeah, I don't. I I think a lot of high school kids get that. You know, yeah. they're growing, right? You know, you start you know doing activities for the first time, changing a little bit, and uh, at a certain point, some of them have the answers, and they kind of forget that oh that learning mindset and wanting to get better and more showing off for their friends. I think is uh, some of the challenges I have with the high school guys just being dialed in. But yeah. yes, the elite performers, you want to be their best. If you get their attention, man, there's nothing like it. And your ability to impact them, just huge. Mm-hmm. I think with me, I didn't push back too much on my parents or think I knew more than them just because my siblings are so much older. Yeah. So I learned a lot from them. I saw them make mistakes while they were growing up and saw firsthand that you don't know everything right. like, at that age. No. Um, what's the travel like for True? Majority West Coast tournaments, in-state? Yeah, mostly um, we have some in-state and we'll travel as well. So it's uh, kind of all over the place, just a few tournaments. Uh, really trying to just kind of figure out which one's best kind of fit our program, right? Where our skill level is and where we can compete and where the kids are to get the most value, right? So if they're getting their butts kicked by a team from Long Island, Right, we might not want that experience. Um, however, it's still always competing and knowing what's out there. It's good to give them a little taste of that as well. Um, so it's kind of a mixed tournament. You know, some really test us. Some we're the dominant team. So it's kind of good to get the uh, the guys all levels of the competition. That's good. And the other coaches, what's their experience? Are they other dads? Are they high school coaches? Yeah, I think Coach. it's all over the board, over right? The board. I mean, our boy Connor Hollison, oh, right? yeah. he's out there coaching the goalies up. I saw Nico out there this summer. Um, I think, you know, on the summit side, a bunch of our coaches are coaching over there as well. Yeah. So it's just really cool seeing right, you guys out there coaching and love to see it because all you guys have the potential to be amazing coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something you're interested in? Yeah, maybe not right away. Um, but definitely later down the line because yeah. I do I do enjoy interacting with people and coaching and especially I find your coach McMahon coach Doyle coach Perkin your career so interesting because you can have 
a direct impact on so many people's lives and kind of change the trajectory of their lives for the rest of their life, which I find pretty interesting. Um, And you just don't get that at a normal corporate job, for example. No, it's certainly an opportunity. Yeah. Right, and I think Coach McMahon, Coach Joe, Coach Perkins, like they've done a phenomenal job just building this family, right? And I look at you guys and, you know, I know I'm not on the team, but it just seems like you guys really enjoy each other's company. Yeah. And it seems like you're going to be there for each other for the rest of your lives. Right. So that's, I mean, yes, like it's got to, it feels good for us and the coaching staff and coach designing a system where you guys can thrive and get the most out of it. And yeah, it, it is a blast. So I'd love to see that for you because I just think, yeah, you just crush it. Mm-hmm. And one of my worries last year is like, oh my gosh, we're losing all these seniors, these super seniors, like we're losing a part of our family. And I was worried like, oh, I hope this freshman class isn't a bunch of like jokesters or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's great to see how well they've acclimated with our culture um, and just they fit right in. I mean, everyone gets along, I feel like. They're just, they're new family members, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it sucks that we lost some of our family, but we got some new family members. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's like every year is different with different faces. And the culture, right, it starts at the top. Yeah. It's Coach McMahon. He sets the vision for this program, right? And we help him deliver it to you guys. But then it's you guys. Well, we like this, right? We like the way things are going. We like not complaining, yelling at the refs. We like not yelling at each other. So anyone, when you, like the easiest way we talk about to get lazy is join a lazy culture. Yeah. The easy way to get gritty is join a gritty culture. Well, we got a very respectful culture that has our pillars to lean on. And when these kids come in, right, they might not know what to expect. They might not even be in like, I don't know if this is for me, right? I could be those jokesters that you talk about. But the minute they see you guys, they look up to you and they join this culture like, man, I love Brennan Bells, right? I, I love what he's doing here. Right, I want to be more like MJ McMahon. Mm-hmm. And they do that and they see it, right? You model it and then they know how to act. Yeah. And so once you have that culture set, it's not easy. Again, it's always a decision, right? We have our systems in place and we've got to reinforce that with everything we say to, to make sure we're on the same page and our actions aren't different than our words. But you're able to create that culture and help these new guys. So you're like, yeah, I love being a part of it. Yeah. In that rare circumstance where you find someone who's just not fitting in, right? Because, well, maybe it's not for them. Like, awesome. As quickly as they can realize that, they can go find another place where they can flourish. Yeah. So, obviously, you hold little culture sessions within the team. Um, you tried to pursue how, – how would I word it? When you tried to pursue your business, it was the physical th- side, but then also the mental side. So, like, culture, um, energy – what other words would describe the yes. teachings you were trying to... Basically, I mean, it's the pillars, right, of right. our program, um, which, you know, Coach McMinn's pillars are very similar to Coach Holman's print pillars. Mm-hmm. And the pillars that I've always follow are, you know, I've done a lot of reading in my days, and the stoicism uh, is something that is, is a philosophy that I really just buy into. And then there's just another guy, his name is Martin Seligman. Um, he's kind of the father of positive psychology around was along with uh, Abraham Maslow, but uh, he wrote Flourish. So for me, it's a few different of these pillars. That is one, right, we got to have wisdom, right? And yeah. wisdom is setting a goal. And Coach McMahon hit it on today. It is knowing we want to be our best self, Yeah. right? I think we can all agree that the goal for all humans we all share is we want to have more moments of happiness. Would you agree with that? Yes. I don't know if we could break it down. Like what else is our purpose other than that? I'd say to build relationships as Good. well. Yeah, so yeah. I would say as well, but why would I build relationships? To, yeah, get happiness. So that's yeah. kind of the scar, it's a guiding star, right? I wanna always be looking, here's my goals. And I like to break them down to the three areas of life, just like Coach McMinn and what we have, right? We have energy or lacrosse, lacrosse for you guys, energy for us guys who are over the hill and aren't playing. Mm-hmm. You have work or school, right, something that you can pursue a goal, and then you have your relationships or your character. Yeah. So within those, you gotta have a goal for each, right? We have that guiding star that we look to all the time. And from there, just like you, building in your habit to wake up and ponder, right? Reflecting on your happiness for 30 minutes, you build in those 
those processes, those habits that you can execute and win at every single time. Mm-hmm. And those are the habits. If you become our habits, well, if we keep doing that day in, day out, we never may not reach our guiding star, right? Some of our goals, it might be out of our control, but we move closer to it each day. So yeah. it starts with that. The second one I really focus on is self-mastery, um, which is self-control. So the same kind of thing, and it's being able to master your mind, that conversation between your ears, right? And that's how you, right? So the game we're all playing, you could say, would be to be their best selves. How to win that game, practice your habits, right. master your mind. So we need to have habits and routines to set up. And then energy, right? Another pillar, another thing we want to focus on. If you don't have energy, can you practice your habits? Say that one more, if you have energy. So if, you, if, you, if you're not energetic, if you don't wake up in the morning, just jump out of bed, ready to bang out a few burpees, mm-hmm. right? You, that has energy and you can use energy to reach your goals in school, in work, and in your relationships, right? Right, yeah. So that's a pillar. It's like, we gotta cultivate that energy, right? We gotta build it up. And I love that with your morning routine, figure out what you need to do so you can have energy for the day. Mm-hmm. Then it's, we also talk about courage or valor um, confidence, whatever you want to call it. And that's just having a plan in place when you feel exhausted, you feel overwhelmed, you feel overmatched, right? Somebody just attacks and slashes you in the shin for no reason. We want to have a response ready. So if something happens, then how do we respond to it? Right? So you got to have courage because those hard times, they're inevitable. They're going to come, right? Right. So that's important. Yeah. You want me to keep rattling them off? No, or? keep going. No. Well, I just want to say you keep mentioning habits and um, positive habits, um, habits that kind of build your life for success. And it reminds me in seventh grade, we had a class called Skills for Success. Yeah. And it taught you how to like plan your week, plan your day. And one of the things she said was to build a habit, I don't remember the exact number, but you have to do something like. 25 times or something before it becomes a habit, which I found pretty interesting. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely hard maybe the first 15 times to wake up at, let's say, 7 a.m., for example. But once you get to that, I forget the number, but 25 times it just becomes natural. And you don't think about it anymore. Yeah, um, I've heard that forever. For me, it was more and more actionable just that all my habits I put in place make them daily. Mm-hmm. Right, because if I do, oh, I'm gonna do it on right Wednesday today, but oh, if I just do it twice a week, well, that's not really a habit. That's something I do. It might be a habit, but if I do, and then make the habits very, very small. So instead of saying I'm gonna go out and play lacrosse for 20 minutes, right? You know, it might be late at night. I can't get 20 minutes in. Say I'm gonna, like, I'm gonna go play wall ball for 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And what you find is when you go out for 30 seconds you get, end up being out there for 20 minutes. It's just getting to the starting line. Yeah. Has that ever happened for you? Get out there and then you're like, all right, this is becoming to be fun. I start enjoying yourself even more. For sure. And to build off that too, I feel like starting something is half the battle. Yeah. Because um, once you're into something, you normally don't stop after a minute. You, you're you in, you're committed, you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So that that's just so important um, to build these habits, make them small. And anyone like getting up, like, okay, we don't have to do 30 minutes of pondering, right? Building your bubble of joy. That's actually what the Dalai Lama, he actually wakes up, I think it's 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. and he'll meditate for two hours. And in one book, I think it's the book of happiness it's called. It's, uh, but he talks about building his bubble of joy. So like you said earlier, you're like, man, nothing can bother me. Yeah. And for him, well, if you meditate for two hours, you build a pretty strong bubble around you that Things can go wrong, but it's all in perspective, right? So, but instead of 30 minutes or two hours, which we don't have, you're a college student, you got a lot more on your plate, right? And, but you can always wake up and say to yourself, today's going to be a great day, mm-hmm. right? I, could would you say anyone on our team would be able to do that? Oh, everyone. Everyone, everyone right? right? So it's an easy thing to do, and that's a habit you can, boom, check it off, start my day. I think you're going to, are you ever going to have a worse day saying that? Am I ever going to have a... like Worst day saying today's going to be a great day. Like the worst day ever in my life? Do you think just, that could ever, yeah, make uh, make the day worse? No, no. That could would, only make it better, Yeah, right? it's not deconstructive. Not deconstructive. Yeah. So 
just saying that, that might lead to a 20-minute brainstorm where you're just in a grateful flow going around the room saying, man, I'm grateful for these sheets. I'm grateful for this blanket to keep me warm. I'm grateful, right, that I can turn this light on and be able to do my act and have a roof over my head. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of, lot of ways to practice gratitude, but it just starts with a simple habit that everyone can win at that's completely in our control. So there's only 24 hours in the day. Do you think it's possible to have too many habits? Is there like a balance you need to find? I think you already have thousands of habits programmed right now. Mm -hmm. Right? Like you right now, you're holding your chin while you look at me. Yeah. <laughs> that's a habit, right? Uh-huh. You thought it was funny, you laughed. That's a habit. Right? You're making you're right. really yeah. good eye contact right now. That's a habit. The way you're holding your pen right now, that's a habit. So I don't think we have a choice. I already think we have all these habits programmed. So right, what I like to really focus on is take inventory of your habits. So when I start working with kids one-on-one, -on -one, the first thing we do is just list every habit we can think of. So if I wake up, then what do I do? Well, after this conversation, hopefully people are saying, today's gonna be a great day. Yeah. Right. So if I say, today's gonna be a great day, right? I don't wanna lay in bed. I wanna roll out of bed as quick as I can. Like Batman from that movie where you know he's exhausted and he starts doing push-ups right away. Mm -hmm. You know that scene I'm talking about, Christian Bale? Yes. Is it the I think first it was one? The, the first the one. The first one, Batman begins. Yeah. And Alfred's like, man, start your day. And he's like exhausted because he's been fighting crime all night. And he rolls out of bed and starts doing push-ups. So I saw that and like, okay, if I say today it's gonna be a great day, then I roll out of bed and I'll do 10 burpees right away because I don't want to feel groggy, I want to feel awake right away. Right. And then if I do that, let's program, right, just hydrate. I'm gonna drink 24 ounces of water or whatever it is. Again, small goals that you can do every day. If I do that, then I'm gonna put on some kind of inspiration, right? I like those Brian Johnson plus ones that I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. If I do that, then what's next? So there's a million habits. And again, I don't think there's too many. I think it can be overwhelming when you do this and be like, oh man, I don't wanna do that. I wanna chill out and just hang out. But okay, that's a habit too, right? So be intentional of your time. So we're not just, okay, I wanna set aside two hours to play video games or not to think about anything. Like that's still a habit. But you're still intentional that, hey man, I gotta relax. I'm doing too much of this being productive thing, right? Because we need balance of everything we do and we need to right. be kinder to each other and have that self-compassion. So you might need, cool, two hours to play video games with my friends. That's great. But again, know how you're spending your time so then you can add new habits, add little micro habits into that and delete the habits that aren't serving you. That makes sense, yeah. And along with these habits, you talked to me about Ceiling, is it ceiling goals and floor goals? Yeah. Can you talk a little more about those? Yeah, and, that, and that's what I've been talking about, right? The yeah. floor goal in the morning is say, today's gonna be a great day. So something little. It's on the floor, it's the bottom, like boom, I check it out. I use that Habit Share app. I don't know if I shared that with you, but a few guys on the team are using that with me and every time I wake up, check it off, done. I feel like I'm gaining momentum and I'm moving, being the person I wanna be, right? that big star that I'm following, that being my best self. Right. So it feels good. Well, my ceiling goal might be a 20 minute gratitude meditation. I don't always have 20 minutes, but I'm not gonna beat myself up if I don't do that because I hit my floor goal. So I still have my momentum and I'm still moving in the right direction. Do you, Does that make sense? Yes. Do you value floor goals and ceiling goals at the same or do you feel better about yourself if you reach a ceiling goal and you don't reach a floor goal because one I fail your floor goals more yeah right staying on task and being the person I want to be with these little things because the little things are the big things right and coach McMahon hit on it today when we were going over gratitude and he was talking about in goals mm -hmm. he was talking about our telescope goals and our microscope microscope goals right microscopic and that's the, that's the same thing right the the Again, the ceiling goal, if it's a telescope and that big, hairy, audacious goal that we're going after, it might be 10, 15 years away, right? So right. that might be a goal like that. But yes, I want to keep it in mind, but I can't be looking at it the whole time. I got to be focused on whatever happens next. All right. 
Well, this has been part one of the Coach McDermott podcast. We will go to part two and we'll uh, cover his book. But, uh, Coach, thank you for being here today. Oh, it's been my pleasure, man. It's uh, fun being here with you and just seeing you in your element, man. I think you got a gift. And uh, i got to ask more questions. i got to get you talking more because I feel like your audience, man, they got to let this Bell's personality shine. And, uh, yeah, maybe we can do another one where I can interview you. Okay. All right. So we can do three then. Just keep them coming. All right. Coach, thank you so much.